What's up, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades? Timothy Gordon here. Excited to bring you a special guest today, Mr. Elliot Hulse, who is not only a dynamic guest, lots of reasons that I want to talk to him today, and I'm about to introduce him to you, but also he's a Catholic guest. I don't bring exclusively Catholics on this show, but it's more exciting when we have someone of talent that is a Roman Catholic and a serious one at that. Elliot, for his part, is a strong man, a strength coach, the CEO of Strength Camp. He's a mentor to millions, that is two million on YouTube, and he's the father of four, and he's my guest here on Rules for Retrogrades today. Elliot, thanks a million for being with me, bud. Man, what a pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, it's it's it's... People were saying that two worlds are colliding, and I was like, "No, nah, man, this is Christendom. This is the Catholic world, yeah. and and it is yeah. uh, from the east to the west, from sunrise to sunset. We want to make all the world the Catholic world because this is what happens when you have the people of different talents who know and believe in and cherish the one true faith teaming up. I'm I'm just really excited to have you. Before we get going, can I ask you something super controversial? The parish orphans and retrogrades out there are going to scratch their heads. Is that okay to, to start out that way? Yeah, that's my favorite way to start. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a hot take. Here's my hot take. People, except for competition strongmen, I'm talking football players, NFL, halfbacks, uh, wrestlers who play in other sports, should not deadlift. Boom. You uh, Are you going to skewer me or do you agree? So I can see why someone would say that, right? Of course, there's a tremendous amount of benefit to the deadlift. But for some, the risk outweighs the reward. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't always think this way. I'm coming around in my professional development to being more open to you know the idea that, well, you can build hinge strength without conventional deadlift, you know, getting the glutes, hamstrings, low back, in particular, the abdominals. When you hinge, you have like, sort of like a, like this effect going on, right? Like depending on how long the bow is, the thing is, right? Oh, I yeah. got my mic, I'm losing my mic. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you got to be able to maintain uh, a, a neutral spine and that requires a lot of core strength. Deadlift is a, is a king of doing that. Yeah. Does everyone need to do it? Maybe not. You know, I won't, I won't, I won't argue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, it's, it's zero football programs in the country use it because of the risk of injury. And as someone with an awful L3, L4 genetically, I just mm -hmm. can't. So, so I wanted to start out that way. I thought, I thought that you, I know you're a, you're a, an overall cool dude, but, um, I wanted to see see how you'd react to that right off the bat. I wish I could, but I don't. But this is not a weightlifting show. I just thought, you know, people either get really mad about that or like, yeah, I think that's a good fringe position from the point of view of injury. Nevertheless, you are here to do something that you've been doing more of lately, but uh, not so much before that. You are, you have really two YouTube channels you focus on, right? And, and one of them has been more ideologically powered recently. Is that right? Or do you do it all in one? Yeah, I've been doing it. To be honest, it's been pretty empowered for the past 12 years. I think I started that channel. My first channel started in 2007 when YouTube first came out. And then right around 2012, 
I created the second channel. So I've been doing it for quite a few years and have been on and off and have attracted and repelled thousands of people over time. So, you know, I, I have almost a million subscribers on that channel, but I'll get like 10,000 views. So <laughs> what is it worth? Man, um, um, but the million, that means that long ago you got the fabled YouTube uh, 100,000 subscribers plaque or whatever the hell it is. What, what is it? Did you, uh, did you receive it? Yeah, I have a big golden button. It's in my, my garage, in my gym. They don't make them like that anymore. Now they're just like a flat plaque with some engraving, en engravings. Uh, yeah. They sent me a big frame, like a thick frame uh, with a giant golden button on the inside. And so that was that was back in like 2013. They sent me that. So uh, they don't make them like that anymore. OG. <laughs> OG. The, the funny thing is, it's kind of like a Grammy. You know, the Simpsons used to make all the jokes about you don't want a Grammy award. It's garbage. Throw it away. But it's like I make fun of that. That stupid YouTube thing. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm like, I, I want one of those. <laughs> That's the secret that everyone, <laughs> everyone secretly wants. A Grammy. I mean, a mil nearly a million. That's that's a real accomplishment. But you you were talking about uh, you made a mention and a shout out of the case for patriarchy, my uh, my newest book here the other day. And and I'd, I'd, uh, I I'd I hadn't thought of having you on the show before that, but except it's a great idea. I knew that you were Catholic and I knew that you'd been on a nice tear of uh ideological purity in the best possible way, not a purity spiral. You and I talked on the phone the other day. We had a great talk. And what we we're saying is like, look, when, you, when you're a YouTube talker, an internet talker in general, there are two types of low-hanging fruit. There's bad low-hanging fruit and good low-hanging fruit. And both of us were, were sharing with one another our proclivity for going for the, the good low-hanging fruit. Bad low-hanging fruit is any kind of stupid bad take that'll just get clicks and it's dumb, indefensible. Usually it's got a long streak of uh, contrariety, right? Contrarianness. Don't go for that. But what you and I were each talking about looking out for that I've noticed is really animating your channel of, of late. That of late, I mean the last year or two, is the idea of true things that popular folks refuse to say in the mainstream. And, and you've been going for that. And that's, that's what I've been doing for, for two or three years on YouTube. I'm, a, I'm, I'm young blood compared to you at uh, YouTube. We're almost the same age, but I'm new to this. You want to talk about that for a second? Why is it so positive for society to talk about these three, four, five issues that even based in red-pilled conservatives hardly want to touch, like the patriarchy or whatever? Well, because they're taboo, right? And the culture has told us what we can and cannot talk about. And I have a tendency towards wanting to venture into the areas I'm not allowed to venture into. I want to go to those places where I'm not supposed to go. When it comes to ideas and languages, I'm an explorer. And so I can't help myself but to be curious about what's behind that, that forbidden door, right? And so when it comes to the term patriarchy, uh, I grew up in the blue pill gynocentric beta world that most of us grew up in and have this sense of uh, latent or had this sense of I don't know, latent guilt or sh masculine shame, right? That comes from, you know, always being told to uh, put girls on a pedestal, right? I mean, when we 
are young, we're taught to kind of temper our strength, temper our energy, be more uh, equal. What was that word? Egalitarian. And so a part of the push to create this, you know, uh, backwards world, really, you could say leveling playing fields, but essentially it's, it's a perversion. Uh, has been this attack against the patriarchy, right? And it's just been like a, a term that feminists have been so proud to uh, describe as the thing that they're looking to smash, right? Smash the patriarchy. But about three, four years ago, when my, uh, it was about three years ago, my, my father-in-law died. And I've been married to my wife for going on 20 years, actually 20 years next year. Um, and we've been dating since we were, uh, we were together since we were in high school. We were together for a very long time. And so I had been with her for all this time and I have four children on my own, but it wasn't until her father died that I took on this, a, a new sense, a more profound sense of what it means to be a father. And God had just rested this on my heart and just started being put, putting me through the ringer in terms of what this vocation that I'm called to actually is and how to do it well. And so exploring fatherhood uh, in many ways red pilled me and the red pill in many ways brought me to the Bible. And it was through that, that I recounted my faith as a, as a Catholic. So (laughs) it's a long way of talking about how I was interested in things that, uh, you know, many people are kind of willing to throw away. It's a long way. And like uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius says in Gladiator, I've seen the world outside of Rome and it's cold and dark and Rome is the light. So even though when you were a, a baptized Catholic as a, as a baby, a cradle Catholic like me, you were about the same age, we ventured largely outside the world of Rome, which is cold and dark and Rome is the light. Yeah. But that was the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, right? And Rome didn't feel much like the light. Parishes were and still are being run by Susan from the parish council. And, uh, right. and the, the priests in the what I call the upper patriarchy, the clerical patriarchy, the, the presbyterate and the episcopate, priests and bishops, they're plagued by this problem of homosexualism, which is a form of, of effeminacy. But more damning to guys like you and me and all of the bros out there that watch this channel and that you know, maybe think that that rules for retrogrades had something to offer them, or maybe TNT back on Marshall's channel back in the day. What they what they have only been red pilled to, found all the world feminized. You know, only recently is right. the idea that the lower patriarchy was far more damning to our faith. The lower patriarchy being taken over by mothers, a kind of matriarchy, with all kinds of unspoken. Uh, cues and clues. And we, we don't have to talk about patriarchy the whole time, but we're, we're talking about your reversion to the faith. My, you know, I can chip in and talk about my reversion to the faith. I think it's kind of similar yeah. in, in many ways. It's because, yes, the priest, the, the priesthood has been corrupted by, bespoiled by homosexuality for the last 80 years or so. That's a given. But more damning than that, to my personal faith, I can say a hundred times over, a thousand times over is the fact that my mom, my friends' moms, everyone I know who went to church in middle school and in grade school, they're being dragged there by their mothers. Their fathers were either going along kind of tacitly, quietly, so as not to stir the pot, or not going along at all. 
And right. that sends some really profound and negative message to young men about the veracity of the faith, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I remember listening to a talk by uh, Father Chad Ripperger where he was talking about how you can predict whether or not a family will lose the faith strictly on whether or not the father is the head of the faith in the home or not. The mother could be 100%, but the kids will be like, eh, not so much. But if the father stands up and takes that role, there's a greater chance for the kids to maintain the faith. Yeah, there's there's numbers to back this up. It's not just anecdotal. Uh, yeah. I can't remember if it's Pew Research Fund, which is not super Christian right wing uh, or um, it might be heritage. But I, it, at any rate, it's like there is an 80 percent attrition for kids that have both parents. Sorry, there is an 80% retention rate for both kids that for kids that come from households with both parents that are serious Catholics or Christians. There is similarly an identical 80% retention rate for kids that come from households only led to church by the father. The mother has no interest. So there's, in other words, the mother basically in this regard, because the man is priest, prophet, king, the regard of making church palatable and, and um, plausible to the children, the mother adds nothing. She's not the priest, prophet, king of the home. Conversely, this is uh, back proven by the fact that the attrition rate jumps to 80%. The retention rate is only 20% when the single parent who gives any cares about going to church is the mother. It, it shoots down like 60% from 80% retention with the father to 20 with the mother. So that is not just anecdotal and it's, it's, it's the real deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how we got here? You know, what was it that turned men away from the church over the past 100 years or so? That's a good question. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it becomes a chicken or the egg problem. You know, the etiology right. for for men of our age and maybe the generation before not going to church is that men weren't leading them there. But at what point did men stop taking an interest in the church? I think. This is an interesting question, Elliot, because it's kind of like question asked, question answered. It's both the riddle and the solution to the riddle. What partly brought me back right. is the answer to the question, which is darkling by its nature. It's diabolical by its nature. And by, aside from, I wanted to talk to you about the TLM in a little bit, but you, you brought up a great question. So aside from the kind of light end of the TLM, which proved to me, uh, along with, with, I'd say, the apparition of Fatima, they're kind of the positive proofs to me of the truth of this faith. It's all real. The conspiracy is it's all yeah. real. All that stuff that I was being taught by all these Susan from the parish councils in the 80s to bad church music and sandals, you know, and I didn't right. believe it's all real. There's a counterproof to the opposite countervailing point of view, which, which reinforces the positive proofs. And the counterproof is that there was in the late 19th century, an attack, a, a, a very directly animated, motivated, diabolical attack on both, and it includes guys like Marx it, on both the upper patriarchy and the lower patriarchy and uh, Pius the right. IX, Gregory the 16th, Leo the 13th, Pius the 10th, all of these late 19th century, early 20th century popes were talking about it. The direct attack, the assault by Satan on the church, which is to say the patriarchy, which doubles as right. a name for the church, the clerical patriarchy, and more importantly, even 
the household patriarchy is coming and it will turn all the world into atheists. That That's what I think. And you get a kind of prefigurement of this, Elliot, even at 500 years ago, Our Lady of Good Success. You get Our Lady talking about yeah. it at Fatima. You get Our Lady talking about it at Akita. And it's absolutely what happened. And to me, learning all this stuff when I was still so-so, I was always interested, even as a kind of young, fallen away undergrad, I was interested in studying Aristotle. He was he and Dostoevsky were my retained links to the faith. Both are kind of quasi-Catholic, <laughs> right? And you know, then I got into to Thomas Aquinas before I was all the way back into the faith. And then I went to Rome and I kind of recrossed the Tiber, which is what we're talking about. So learning about the darkling forces against the one true faith yeah. helped to solidify in my mind the veracity of the one true faith. Does that make sense? hundred percent. And that's why we're here together at the same time, because it's just that very attack that has caused the whole world to go left. That makes me scratch my head and say, I think everything I told I was told was not right is actually right. <laughs> I mean, just exploring the faith itself was a controversial move for me, right? To, to come out and say I'm Catholic, knowing that the world has been taught to hate Catholics and the Catholic Church. And there's, and you can't, I mean, there's many reasons why they could be validated their position on this. Uh, you know, then they look at the scandal, right? I mean, that's, they, they're not wrong that that exists. Right. Right. But at the same time, it may it just gives me more courage to push past that and to look to look past that and find the element of truth, the underlying reality of what it is we're actually doing and why we're here. Right. But the funny thing is, and I I know whereof you speak here, the, as a kind of law as a lawyer, you know, JD, I know how to assess the other side's argument. And I look at I look at what we, you and I, and and Catholicism writ large is up against. And it's like, that is one of the strongest sort of preliminary arguments that opponents of Catholicism will level. They're like, dude, the pedo priests and the, the combination of pedo right. priests along with the, the phony, I don't want to, I don't want to sound schismatic or something. Everyone knows where I'm at on that, but the kind of novus <laughs> ordo iteration yeah. of the faith, which is so yeah. fake and gay, corny and fake and gay, not, not to say it's not <laughs> the real faith, but it seems fake and gay. Right. Uh, and then the priests are actually like, uh, you know, homo pedos, globo homo pedos. It's right. like, whoa, this is I sound like a nut bar to this relatively cool person outside the faith that I could bring right. back in if, if we could, as you say, push past the initial swell. And that's why I'm like, look, it was foretold that the most compelling thing that the devil could do is corrupt the priests in the clerical patriarchy in the grossest right. most vile possible way the most diametrically opposed thing to their vocation satan god and then same thing with the lower patriarchy the most vile diabolical diametrically opposed to the vocation of priest prophet king of the household the ecclesiola turn men into these waffling simping pornography addicted uh henpecked fiends that don't lead that's the most gross right. thing you can do there. Satan got them both in the 20th century, starting in the 19th century. And look what it did to my faith. You know, I look at what it did to my faith. Look at what it did to your faith. I simply didn't think in the late 80s and early 90s that there was any chance this stuff was true. I'm talking fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I'm like, this is this is like this is um this is Santa Claus too, is what I what I told myself.
Yeah. And so you keep referring to the uh, lower patriarchy. I'm assuming you're talking about the home, the household, uh, what you refer to as the household patriarchy in your book. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That's the home. Yeah. So in many ways for me, you know, finding the magisterium, right, the, 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 the higher patriarchy or just moving in the direction of tradition actually began in the household patriarchy. Um, I grew up with a strong father, uh, a good mother. They stayed together. I mean, that's unique in and of itself to have two parents. Um, and the father who was, a, who was an alpha male father, he was, not the, he was not the Catholic leader that you would imagine in terms of you know, helping children retain the faith. He kind of just went, went along with it. But the fact that, that there was a, a household that was in order where it was very clear that the father's in charge and the mother's the helpmate and the children are respectful. I'm grateful for the fact that I had that experience, although I resisted it to no end when I was a kid. I couldn't stand it. I hated the fact that I had a strong father because all my friends had weakling fathers and I saw how much fun they had. They can do whatever they want, go wherever they want. It was just like, hey, your dad's not going to, your dad doesn't care. In fact, my mom's in charge. And so I kind of Growing up in America, where it is gynocentric and the tables have been turned, I was resentful of coming from, a, in a way, a household patriarchy. And it wasn't until I had my own children, and like I said, my father-in-law passed away, that I started to realize, wait a second, all the toxic things that my dad said, right? Toxic. All the toxic things that my dad said, all the way, his ways of being. You know, he's from Belize. My parents are from Belize, so he didn't grow up in the, 19, uh, the 1960s in America, going to Woodstock and smoking dope and being promiscuous. He was growing, he grew up in the jungle. He was in the jungle, it was law of the jungle. It was about sur survive or die. And so he took that same attitude and he brought it to America and he raised his children with that. But it wasn't until, you know, I was into my late 30s, uh, late 20s, you know, or in my 30s, where I really started to recognize that, you know, maybe my dad was right. Maybe men are supposed to be in charge. Maybe men are the head of the household and that it is of, uh, of proper order for the woman to submit to the man rather than what we're getting, which is the other way around. And by the grace of God, I married a woman who fit that role, even though I wasn't conscious of what was going on at the time. I just can now stand in it a lot more uh, with more certitude. Yeah, it's like you benefited from strong soft wiring. Soft wiring so early in your life that it's almost hardwiring so you just you have good instincts and that's that's what seems to have uh right. pulled you through and i didn't trust my instincts for a very long time because i wanted to be liked right in the world if you want to be liked you got to be like a girl and so right. i remember beta beta elliot blue pill elliot and and how i fought against myself because there was an instinct to be a particular way but having it shut down having the media show me that that's not the right way movies we just watched just a you know, go back to the 80s and 90s and how that uh, soft wiring was ingrained into the American culture. It's Christmas time, right? We have and, and we have no um, we have no TV in my house. We don't have uh, because of living in the country, we don't have like cable and we can't watch like Apple TV and stuff like that. So we've been buying DVDs right to watch with the kids Christmas movies. And uh, between watching Home Alone one <laughs> night and then we watched um, man, it, what a mess. I didn't, I didn't, I could see now in these movies what I couldn't see when I was a kid between right. watching Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I got to discover just that movie Home Alone 
was about a rude kid. Like, that's a bad kid. He's disrespectful to his parents. He talks back. He thinks he's in charge. The whole thing, like, I'm watching the movie and I'm like watching it with my kids. I'm like, don't be like that kid, even though I watched it and I thought it was great. And then yeah. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Chevy Chase, I guess, I forget the name of his character. He's a clown. The entire movie was a, was a clown show around the dad. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm watching my teenage daughters and they're cringing. My daughter goes, I have secondhand embarrassment about how, in, how cringe this dad is. That's what she says. Especially the scene when he's like simping in the, uh, in the grocery store at some girl who's like, you know, selling the items in the store. And he's like stuttering and saying stupid things. I'm like, I'm embarrassed. My kids are embarrassed. I'm like, what is this 1980s? garbage that i grew up on yeah it's staggering actually it's sta man there's so much you said because every year just i think i've said this once on the show for many years we watched the same catalog of christmas movies every year like like many people when we start out the christmas movies it's my family tradition with uh national lampoon's christmas vacation on thanksgiving day during everyone's turkey <laughs> coma and um it's like it's man it's a great movie you know i have lots of fellow feeling and warm affection toward the movie itself but it's so disordered and now i've watched it a million times i wish i could watch it fresh but the only fresh perspective i can bring to it <laughs> is what you're saying it's like dude it's so there's some really great parts and yeah he wants to keep his family together but this is a secular this is the apotheosis of a secular dude who wants family togetherness for the secularized Christmas. And it, a lot of that's right. a good natural impulse, but there's no Jesus. And then, yeah, some of the, the, the scene in Macy's when he's simping for uh, the girl, Mary, who's selling him stuff, she's pulling up her skirt. It's like, wow, this was just commonplace in the 80s. And I, I think it's gotten worse. With regard to Home Alone, I always think, man, as a, see, I kind of have a reverse... Uh, I mean, not reverse. I, I agree. Kevin McAllister is a super <laughs> rude kid. But as a as a kid, I saw more how he's rude. Um, and as an adult, I oh. see more like, wow, this is a two way street. He's a super rude, bratty kid. But I see all the adults in the household and all the older brothers and sisters being so bad to him that uh, in, in many ways, I, I feel more bad for Kevin now than I did when I was <laughs> his age. And I think I'm Macaulay Culkin's like exactly my age or exactly, you know, one year Probably. between you and I or something. Um, I, I don't just real quick. I want to I want to ask you a couple follow ups to that. But I don't mention my parents much on rules for retrogrades. People parents are always such a, a, a complex thing. But I will chime in with what you said, Elliot. That although, I you know my dad was was he he converted when I was in the fourth grade and he was a strong he was an alpha male big strong dude six foot three you know he 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 my mom was his helpmate so I I got that in the early soft wiring and I'm I'm very appreciative for that my parents are like this uh, they just do yeah. nothing without each other they're very close I had a very, what a grace yeah what a grace the the same kind it, it, your your background in a lot of ways is is similar to mine now my mom was the one and my dad you know, got on board, even though he was in charge of everything else. My mom was really the one who was to the extent she could being the priest of the household. And that people have heard me say that I was kind of like all my friends in that regard. Um, but not like my friend in the other regards, my dad was an alpha. So I guess you and I were kind <laughs> of a mixed bag. Most of our friends growing up had it the worst, right? Their dads were just 
diminutive little cowering like bug men cowering in the corner and the mom just ran everything including church and that's a even more unattractive picture you know right yeah i mean so look yeah what i was going to ask you is because I'm, I'm curious about this given what we just said about our our family of origin situations where are your parents now on um the mass your reversion to the faith your particularly your reversion to tradition you listen to ripperger you you're you're interested in the the tlm things like that what do your parents think now uh they're not into it my my mom has a deep resentment towards the church for a number of reasons including in fact she didn't have a father and she grew up with her mother and her aunts one of her aunts two of her aunts became nuns uh, and the other two were sluts. <laughs> and so she kind of was, uh, she battled with the moral, uh, the, the moral um, contradictions in her family amongst these women. It was all women. She was, you know, she was, she was around her mom and her, and her aunts. And one thing also was that one of her brothers was in Catholic school and According to him, there was some abuse there. And so that's it's, it's happened. So I can't say that it wasn't true. And so at this point, she's got a it, she's got a sort of a, a mix going on. Like there, she she struggles because she wore She wears a miraculous medal. Right. My mom walks around with her with Mary on her chest and and uh, and believes. But she does not like the church. And, uh, you know, she had her aunt come live with her a couple uh, about a year ago, she was dying. Her whole aunt was dying. Her, her aunt was in a convent. She was a nurse. She was a nun her entire life. And I thought that was an opportunity for my mom to, you know, forgive her mother and to repent of her anger and be a way that maybe she, she her heart would soften and she'd come back to the church. But she she only grew her heart only grew harder as a result of spending time with my aunt. And so you know. I don't know. If it, I don't feel like it's my place and I don't take responsibility. Maybe I should, but I just don't for her salvation, I guess you would say. Um, but I just live as an example. And, uh, you know, I go to mass and she comes to my house. She sees Jesus all over my house. And uh, I wear a miraculous medal because she does. Uh, my father, on the other hand, is he's not into it at all. Meaning like at least my mother has a background. She has a frame of reference. She's done all that she's gone through all the process uh as a as a child my father i believe i didn't know this until i was much older i believe he grew up uh as some form of a protestant because when we went back to belize in 2017 i met her met his uncle who was uh who owned a church was a pastor i was like wow this is great and uh but it wasn't catholic and so that was the first time that i realized wait a second i, I don't think my dad was actually catholic to begin with my mom was so there, I mean, there you have your statistics right there. My dad wasn't into the faith at all. Still not really. Um, so neither of them really have, want to have anything to do with it, <laughs> to, be, yeah. to be honest, yeah. really. Well, what a grace that you got the introduction and all of the, well, what, a, what a corpus, a whole host of graces that you were at least baptized, confirmed, even if it took you till, see, I, I had my reversion I, I never liked the term reversion. In a lot of ways, I feel like it was a conversion because I, 
even though I had mm. the, the, the supernatural graces of the sacraments working for me until I was almost right. 30, 28 or 29, I, I did. I had none of the natural love for it and none of the, 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 you know, the light of natural reason going for it. I didn't see how natural reason confirmed what was being told to me supernaturally. So I I'm, I'm halfway, I'm always half, half. Do I call this a reversion or a conversion when I was 28 or 29? Now it sounds like you were 38 or 39 and, and you were in the, the same boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, I know you say reversion, you, both of those words kind of elude me because as a baptized Catholic, I came to the realization at about age 39, I'm a Catholic. Right. I am a Catholic. I mean, I've been spending my life trying to figure out who I am. And to be, to be honest, I've dabbled with and been through so many different religions because of the, the seeking for God was implanted in my heart. It was imprinted on me from the time I was in high school. I remember, uh, I remember going to St. John's university, which is a Catholic school, uh, in for, for, uh, for college and wanting to know I'm in a Catholic school and I'm wanting to know about Christianity. I'm wanting to know about Jesus. I was very in, in, intrigued by some of my friends on the football team, but they were Protestant. And so they started giving me like these little comic books about how the Catholic church is uh, from hell. <laughs> and just like all the things that uh, about the church is like they were just knocking down everything in these comic books. It was like, even look at the uniforms, look at that hat. It's a hat from hell. And like, I believed it. And like the, the, the Eucharist, the Eucharist is like food from hell. And I'm reading these books and they're telling me about it. I'm going to Bible study at a Catholic school, but it's completely anti-Catholic. And so I became quote unquote Christian. After that, I explored uh, I was exploring Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism. I was very much into Alan Watts and Osho and the stories of the East and the religions of the East. Then I found uh, the Baha'i faith, which is also an Abrahamic faith that comes out of Islam. So I was looking into Islam and I was looking into the Baha'i faith. And in fact, I even became the one sacrament that eluded me was matrimony because I got married as a Baha'i because I was 24 years old and I was still seeking. And so our wedding was a, a Baha'i wedding. Uh, and it, again, it wasn't until, you know, many years I was into the new age. I was into, you know, astrology. I was into basically every pagan religion you possibly could think of because I'm searching, I'm seeking. And then one day when I basically hit rock bottom in one aspect of my life and I was like, I knew that I couldn't help myself. I opened my heart to the Lord and I said, look, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I don't have the will. I don't have the intellect. I don't know what to do. And it was just plain based on my heart that it was time to repent. And that meant confess your sins. I, I would not have thought of this logically myself. So yeah. I know that it was divinely inspired. I would I, it never cross my mind to go to Catholic church and confess my sins and receive absolution. In fact, I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew that I could do it because I was given that sacrament as a kid. I had to go on YouTube and look up how to confess your sins. I had to, I had to learn, you know, the, the, the prayer and what to say and how to do it. So uh, YouTube basically catechized me. And then I picked up and, and went and confessed 35 years <laughs> or 30 years of sins. I just wrote it all out and just did a big general confession. And just, this is where I've been. This is what I've done. And it was all of the sins. And I broke down and, and, and cried for the first time in probably 20 years. And this priest who barely spoke any English at all just consoled me and let me know 
that the prodigal son has returned and God will embrace you as he did the son in the story. So that that's long story short. That's how it happened. Beautiful. That's beautiful. So you've been back for five, five, six years, four, five, six years. Uh, no, not even that long. So let me get straight. 2000, the end of 2018, 19, 20, 21. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we're going about three, four years, three or four. What was the, what was the reception like from your crowd when you came back to Catholicism? (laughs) So like we said at the start of the show, I kind of like being a little controversial. I kind of like being a little bit of a, a, of a black sheep. And so it just kind of fit my ego, if you will, because I don't know if this is a part of my fallen nature. or This is divine, but I just like to trigger people. And yeah. so knowing that, well, they, they're all either very ignorant of or actually hate the church, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I started, (laughs) so I started started putting on, right. And, 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 and being Catholic and praying the rosary and uh, it for, for the people in my life, knowing me as, as they do for so long, they're not surprised, but it was a, it was very shocking to my fan base and the people who've been following me online, who know me mostly as a new ager, right. Talking about the law of, of, of attraction and, you know, reading, reading from the Taoist, uh, the Tao text and stuff like that. So for me to say I was Catholic was like, what? And it was like, I didn't become Catholic. And I know you, you use that word revert, reversion and conversion. But me, I was like, I just say, hey, you know what? I just remembered right. that I'm Catholic. Right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I knew that you had had somewhere I read that you had had a new age period, but I didn't know you talked about it so much on one or both of your YouTube channels. So I, I didn't know it was such a, a regular topic of visitation for you. Well, I, I would, I would say things like the universe, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if I'm talking about God, I would say the universe. And that's just kind of, you know, a, a pagan ideal or a word that's used to, you know, to, to, to skirt the fact that there's a creator, that there's one God. So I kind of like played that game in my language when dealing with people. But, you know, at, at a certain point, actually, even before becoming Catholic, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I know there's a God. There's it's not the universe. I don't worship the universe. The universe is not doing anything for me. The universe <laughs> is a creation. <laughs> it's yeah. God. And so uh, that just changing that kind of language, you know. Yeah, definition of mortal sin being ordered. Ordering one's actions toward a creature rather than the God as one's last end. That's that's first and foremost in the satanic temple. Atheists unite. Even agnostics talk this way in New Age, which is kind of some conglomeration of all of those ideologies. They yeah. refuse intentionally, more intentionally with some of those groups than others. They refuse to acknowledge anything but a creature as some, as some object worthy of our thanks. And it's, it's right. really, your, your stories, your stories really good. I don't know, Elliot, if I'm, I'm going to go out, oh, you know, we just, we just met each other and started talking, but I, I do, I, I, I sincerely feel uh, simpatico in a lot of ways. And it's something, all of us have different, different life scripts, as they'd say in new age, but <laughs> you, Milo Yiannopoulos, who I'm interviewing next week, myself, actually, Caitlin Bennett, uh, I'm interviewing on Friday. 
this is like reversion week or yeah it's reversion week because all of us myself you milo i don't think caitlin bennett was ever a catholic so it's conversion reversion week there seems yeah, to man. be a common thread of i don't know if this is fallen nature I'm, I'm just ripping from what you said i enjoy having a crowd again this is the that goes back to the two kinds of low-hanging fruit for a author or a content maker to draw from there's the one where it's just contrarianism for its own sake and you're just saying stupid things mm -hmm. just because it'll make people people mad and then there's like hey i know this is going to make people mad and create a buzz but it's true and i i enjoy right. saying it i don't for you that was just being catholic for me on my channel sometimes again it's i'm saying it because it's true and because it matters but it's like why do i enjoy this so much i will be talking mm -hmm. to traditional catholics and i'll be like look the TLM was a touchstone for me. It was literally, it proved, it was a proof of the faith when I, when I found yeah. it in 2006. Like, wow, this is, the re this is what real worship looks like. This is yeah. what, this is like the platonic form of what real worship would look like if there were a true religion. And then I started finding out all these false falses like, I don't know, Shroud of Turin. That was a false false. That was real. You know, the, the, the conspiracy that it's all true. But so I love right. the TLM. I do not love. I've my entire life I have had a special kind of one man opprobrium. Uh dare I say strong dislike for the Novus Ordo, but I defend the veracity of the Novus Ordo because I know that on paper it has to be defensible. And and I can and I'm working that out in a Vatican II book I'm working on right now. But I kind of, the weird thing about me that's kind of like you that I think is kind of like Milo reverting to the faith, being a you know homosexual and now he's ex he calls himself ex gay. There's some common thread where it's like when it's true, the three of us and I don't know maybe Caitlin Bennett I've never talked to her like saying something that's true and unpopular and a lot of people say this, but then you see those people that claim that. The heat gets turned up and you see him blushing like anyone else. Like the more people get mad at me, the more fellow TLM loving, largely good people that go to the trad mass get mad at me. The more it's like this is this becomes kind of fun. And, and it's not because I'm saying something <laughs> false. It's it's weird. I don't know what's wrong with us, bro. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. Just yeah. The no uh, going back to the noblest ordo, like you know, it's funny because I was catechized by YouTube, and so let me back up for a moment. When I did go to my first con confession, you know, in, in thirty years, I it was then followed by my first novus ordo mass in thirty years, and I didn't know anything about the traditional Latin mass at all. I didn't know any. I didn't know really any difference. It was the only mass that I had been to, and just the the humble state that I was in at the time just opened my heart to the, 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 the liturgy, the Novus Ordo liturgy. I mean, I loved pounding my heart and doing this, you know, um, through my fault, through my fault. Through, I mean, like I cried when I would do that just those first few months because, you know, it was all new at that time for me. And uh, it was just funny because I was satisfied with it. I was going every single morning. There was a, a beautiful parish. Of course, it was a boomer parish, as you describe it. And that means, you know, they're they didn't have the same values as I did. It was around election time too. I remember. And they're like, they wouldn't speak out against certain things. It was like, all right, well, I guess I see which game you guys are playing. They're playing the political game. They're playing the government game. They're basically they're government pawns in a lot of ways. So I yeah. understood it was a boomer church, 
but I really had a great appreciation for the for the Noah's Ordo liturgy as it was all I knew. And in the humble state that I, I, I came back into it, I received it wholeheartedly. And then, and this is kind of like, I don't know what to make of this, but it's where I am. And it's, you know, obviously what you're talking about. Then, like I said, I started becoming, uh, I was catechized through YouTube, basically Father Ripperger. Like I would just watch uh, um, census fidelium videos over and over and over again. And of course that's traditional. So I found a traditional Latin mass uh, that wasn't too far away from me when I was living in Tampa as well. And then I started to frequent that. And then I started to have like a split in my heart. And I was yeah. like, wait a second. I, I, I wish I could. And I, they started to do uh, no more communion on the tongue at the Novus Ordo during 2020. And I, and I was, I was starting to discover the traditions of the faith. I would, I would receive it on the tongue. I was like, okay, yeah, well, this is the way it's supposed to be done. And there's a good reason why. And then they started to do away with that. And I was like, well, you guys are making it tough for me to want to continue to come here. There's the Latin mass. And so I started going to the Latin mass more. And what I really appreciated about the Latin mass, I, there were some things that were tough for me, but what I really appreciated about it is the, is the call to tradition. Everything that they did just seemed so old and noble to know yeah. that it's been done this way for 2000 years. It just made me feel more at home with, you know, thousands of years of Catholics doing the same thing. And so I kind of like I had been split. I wasn't sure, like, which one. Yeah, yeah, that's the, I mean, there's something there is something diabolical about whatever we have, 23 or 24 rights in the Catholic Church. Mm. And and there's only one right, the Roman right. Then they're not all the same numerically or statistically. The Roman rights accounts for over 95% of the masses said every Sunday or whatever. But um, the point is the only one that's got two forms, an extraordinary and an ordinary uh, uses and antiquior right. and and the the ordinary uses. Uh, that that's strange. That's queer. That sticks out. It's conspicuous. There's something not whole about that, something not wholesome about it. And um, yeah, you, I, I like what you said, Elliot. It's, it was like a tear in your heart. I mean, I, I don't, and, and it's beautiful that you're, you're so into it. You're feeling it so gutturally, viscerally. You know, I, you love to, to pound your chest. That I understand where you're coming from. But <laughs> for me, it's like what turned me away was the Novus Ordo. A lot of people forget this because I'm like, look, it is a, it is a legit mass. We can't say it's not. And I've gone to blows, not literally, but, but debated lots of trads that who are basically saying it's, it's not a real mass. I mean, that's basically always right. the subtext. And I'm like, that's nonsense, man. Then, then you're getting into indefectibility problems with the church, which is what drove me away in the first place. I didn't believe it was really true for it to be true. It's got to be right. indefectible. So there's this really narrow position that i think is true that i think is demonstrably true i'll even add where one has to be and it's like i do not i i do not have the same i wish i could have a viscerally good experience at a novus ordo i think i've gone to one that was halfway decent but but it's it's valid but the fact that two are valid at once and one is clearly more home for a roman catholic just because yeah. it's where you aje quad ages this is what we do um, right. the, the Latin stuff, it's a really conspicuous time and it just 
it reminds one what what an attack the church is under. I mean, you can get all spun off. The liturgy is yeah. under attack. The church is under attack yeah. because of all, all of this stuff, man. And I just, it's weird. You show um, a baby boomer, even a, a faithful one that has the faith, like my mom or dad, that the TLM, and they, they, it's weird. They just, they're like the one generation that doesn't have love for tradition. Very strange. It's interesting that you say that the one generation, because what I think we're seeing is a reemergence of a uh, of a of a movement towards the TLM in the in the millennial or I don't even say maybe Gen Z uh, um, generation. I don't know if it's because I live in a bubble, right? I, you tend to surround yourself with people that think the same way. At least I do. But I'm seeing such so much movement towards traditionalism in the younger in the youngest generations. It's almost as if they are looking at the freedom that the boomers and the Gen Xers had, and they're disdaining it now because they recognize the chaos associated with it. They're almost looking at it like, we. I'm gonna say this, not necessarily that they're all thinking this, but in some way, it's like a rejection of the sexual revolution. It's a rejection of, that, of the freedom that we've been given that has made us as diabolically disoriented as we currently are that the new generation is saying, no, order. We need order again. We need tradition again. We need to go back to what has worked before things started falling apart. And it just calls to that, that cycle of, you know, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and then hard times create those strong men again. I can only imagine that Gen Z and beyond will be the generation that picks back up the traditions that were lost by the boomer generation. Yeah, that- that's so good what you just said. I mean, look at this young man who is roughly half of our age, a, a little bit older than half our age, and the, you know, like him or lump him, look at the cultural influence that Nicholas J. Fuentes has, right? And he's, he's I think he's, he's dabbled in um, Catholic tradition, but he is a Catholic. But just by saying, it, it's, it's always surprised. I'm friends with, we have a lot of mutual friends, he and I. I've never actually spoken to him in person i was going to talk to him at the uh stop the steel rally in dc in november i wasn't at the january 6 one but uh a bunch of his, <laughs> his groipers got in the way we made eye contact i was walking over to him i was hanging out with roosh uh who was holding a big wooden cross and no one was around him so we went and started talking and then i was going to go talk to fuentes but all of his little uh fanboy groipers got in the way and i was i was just going to say hello and be friendly but um whether you like him or lump him, look at the amount of influence that Fuentes has just by, I'm not sure if he goes or he's ever even been to a Latin mass. I know I think he has respect for it. Just by rep, by presenting the ethos of tradition, even if it's not in the liturgy, it's just like the Zoomers are like, hey man, keep your porn to yourself. We know what this has done to right. our older brothers in a lot of cases, even to us. I think it's an explicit rejection of the sexual revolution. Now, with a lot of these young dudes, I, I think you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, Elliot. Isn't the main thing to be like, not collectivism, sin is public by its nature, but it's private in its modus. It's public by its nature, private by its modus. So we don't mm. need a collective solution. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm all for illegalizing porn at the state level, right? 50 states by right. 50 states. That, and I've said that, but... But the bigger problem is freeing ourselves of these vile, diabolical practices 
that have been mainstreamed yeah. for 40 years now. And um, I think it's safe to say that even if they're the young Zoomers who are based in red pill, a lot of them are groipers, are, are tending toward collectivist solutions rather than individualist solutions. It's like, dude, get yourself off the porn first, then make it illegal in your right. state. Do both, but do it yeah. in that order. They're going yep. in the other order. I think it is an explicit repudiation of the sexual revolution. I, I don't think you need to tamp that down at all. I think that's what they're doing. Okay. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no fap is a thing. I mean, that was not a thing when we were growing up, right? When I was 13, 14 years old, no one mentioned that jerking off might be a bad idea. Of no course, one. You know, the church may have said that, but no one told me. And now to see all these young men, you know, in their 20s and they're like, you know, I'm 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 on no fap. I haven't masturbated in months. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Uh, that's a new thing. That's a new way of thinking. And it shows that as you're asserting that it is a rejection of the sexual revolution because we recognize that it's actually slavery. It is slavery. It is slavery. And the, I mean, when you consider this fact, I have it in a uh, case for patriarchy. 98% of men married and unmarried report 98% report looking at porn in the last six months. You know, it's like, wow. I mean, that's, that's like saying, you know, it's only what, what a hundred, it's only 2% higher of all men would report drawing oxygen into their lungs in the last six months. Right. <laughs> so it's near ubiquity. That is, yeah. that is a slave class. A slave class that includes yeah. all 98% of those people. Young men, it is toxic poison. You cannot do that. I don't talk that much about it on this channel. People think I should more. Mm -hmm. It's toxic poison. One, when one is chased, I was saying this the other day to, to a, a question that a, a patron had for me. When one is chased, particularly a man, Lord loves a, a chaste woman. It's not such a challenge for women. But when you pray the novena to St. Joseph, who was uh, a terror to demons, scourge of demons, and was the most chaste man besides Jesus ever to live, you are a powerful, a superlatively powerful friend of Christ and the cross, right? Chastity is like the way to free your mind, to free your body, free your soul. And young men are waking up to this. But like you say, when we were growing up in really, really more the 90s than the 80s, right? The Gen X was really teenagers yeah. in the 80s. We're, we're a little younger than that. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. No, we never talked about how it's bad. It, it was like considered like a safe <laughs> solution to uh, other forms of pornea, like fornication. It's like, well, this is the good form. It's right. Like, no, it's 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 more dangerous in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That was the uh, that was the mindset of the time. It's interesting that you mentioned the difference between the individual and the collective with regard to the new generation. And I just couldn't help but to think because I work with a lot of young men that it, although their sentiment is changing and, and, and gravitating more towards tradition and boundaries in their lives, I think it's a distraction also that they have social media and it makes people think that unless I'm telling the world about, or I'm helping other people, or I'm broadcasting it for the universe to know that I'm doing something that I'm actually not doing it. There's, there's, there's less of a, like you say, a focus on the individual and the private sin and more a matter of let's change the world. And I, I don't know if it equates, but I remember you saying in your book something to the effect of uh, how um, careerism 
becomes a, 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 an idol of sorts, you know, a, a religion of sorts. It's like, well, as long as you're doing it for career, I think you were talking about uh, chastity in that regard. And like they would do it for boxing, right? Because it's like, hey, the world gets to see you beat somebody up. So it's a good idea not to fornicate, um, but to do it for the private or for the, 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 vir the virtue growth within seems to elude a lot. Seems to elude a lot of people. We, with social media, everything seems to be a collective undertaking. Even the fact that they talk about NoFap, like it was a little embarrassing the first yeah. time I discovered what it was. I was like, but you, you guys are, you're actually talking about that? Because like when I was a yeah. kid, I was like, yeah, hey, we'd jerk off quietly and then we'd be done with it. But they're having conversations and they're helping one another and they're writing books and doing TED Talks about how to free yourself from jerking yeah. off. So it is a, it's good and it's bad, but it is what it is, huh? No, no, I'm glad. I'm really glad you said that because it's like, it's super, super good that if guys are, are are really struggling with this, I guess they can get the help. But I always, me, uh, I think me and Matt Frad had this talk once. Like that was a big part of his brand a few years ago. And I was always like, dude, if you're helping young men to beat that, you know, that, 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 toxic poison then awesome that's really genuinely good but it's weird to, to to me a little bit just this is just a personal taste to have that out there so open like you said it's a bit right. embarrassing it's an embarrassing <laughs> word even yeah. and it's like yeah I, yeah this is something thank god has you know i i, I don't struggle with and, and it's through the grace of god there but for the grace of god right go i because it is slavery um, and uh, you know, when people talk about it, um, self-abuse, let's say as a, right. an addiction, it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing that it's a real addiction, no, but no. I, it's weird when people bring it into the way the zoomers do, do what you got to do again to, to beat it. But they'll bring it into private conversation. It'll be like, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. And they're like, when I was addicted to porn, it's like, whoa, whoa, I'm just having turkey and stuffing here, man. Like, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you're over that. I'm not saying this in passing. It's, it's, I guess, the most important thing. But second most important thing is let me finish my dinner because this is really, <laughs> I always told Matt, I'm like, man, I, I, I wouldn't want that as a part of my brand, though. I guess it's really right. important to tell people. Stay yeah. away from the porn and stay away from not just porn, but you, you can you can be addicted to self-abuse without the porn. Uh, stay away from yeah. all forms of self-abuse. And it is good that the Zoomers talk about it to the extent that it's a little mm -hmm. bit icky, but they talk about it to the extent that it's like no one spoke to us about that in, in the 90s. Right. It was like it was assumed, oh, ha, 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 you're a teen boy. What are you in the bathroom? So, you know, five times a day doing that. It's like that's making it like a, a petty, risible, uh, you know, mischievous pastime. That's a little bit funny. It's right. Another, it's very, very evil. And young men need to hear it, I guess. I'm just not the one to tell them, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's my clients it's my it's my fans it was the young men watching my videos an issue i really don't you know i've got three daughters and my son's still 10 years old it's just not something that, that crossed my face but in retrospect i mean there's so many different ways that i came back to the faith in retrospect i realized that by my fans bringing me questions on two particular topics in in, in this regard 
it really brought me back to the faith. The fact that they were talking about NoFap, NoFap was on one of them. I was like, wow, what is this? And I had to explore that. But in the same light or on the, you know, on the other side of the coin was MGTOW. Have you ever heard of MGTOW, men going their own way? No. Could you tell us? What These were is? two movements that, in, in my experience, emerged about the same time. About the same time, my fans started asking me, a lot of Zoomers started asking me, hey, what do you think about NoFap? And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. I need to go look it up. And the same time, they were asking me about MGTOW. And MGTOW is a movement of men who are now, in a way, in, in, in a secular way, becoming monks. And essentially, they're saying, you know, we're swearing off women for the rest of our lives. We just don't want to deal with them. Um, they're tough. They're tough to deal with in a feminist world. And you can't, you can't argue with that. It's like, yeah, the women they're dealing with most of them, you know, if they're wanting to get married, there's these women who have been with, you know, dozens and dozens of men beforehand, right? They're no more virgins of sorts. And of course, these women, they make their own money. They live in their own apartments. They do their own thing. They're strong and empowered, but, and they essentially don't need a man for anything. And so a lot of young men are saying, well, then, you know, what? I'm just not going to pander to that. I'm not going to chase that. I'm not going to be about that anymore. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to choose chastity as, or, or abstinence as a way of life. And both those things opened me to the idea that there is this there is. There's truth. To tradition, there's truth, like there's a reason why Catholics were always against masturbation. And it didn't, this was all a part of my coming back to the faith because as I started exploring NoFap and realizing, well, this was considered a sin a long time ago. This was something that was outlawed. It wasn't really, it wasn't really considered something that is of a uh, conversational topic <laughs> for thousands of years. And then this idea that men are now choosing to give up the hookup fornication sports sex lifestyle for a life of cultivation to me kind of just started pointing me back to tradition and like, okay, well, these are the way things once were and it's what helped us get to where we are now. What is the source of this? And, and in a way, my friends land me back to the Bible because I started like discovering red pill intersexual dynamics, right? Like uh, gynocentrism, feminism, and how it's been a blight on the culture. And so that brought me back to reading the Bible. I was like, well, this, all this stuff is in here. This is old as dirt. This is this is scripture. This is God's revealed word. And it just seems that now we're seeing the utilitarian, the, the how to use it as or see it as something that's useful for a secular form of cultivation, you know, being a strong man. Yeah. Useful for eudaimonia, uh, you know, er, the Aristotelian natural law happiness, which is not opposed to mm. the Catholic vision. The sacraments add to eudaimonia. That's why you study Thomas Aquinas. But absolutely. And uh, man, you just so many great points. I, I'm just uh, I'm really I'm really enjoying this. Uh, <laughs> another way we're kindred spirits is I, I'm a trad. I'm a TLM guy to the extent that I love the TLM. What? I always, this isn't something that I ever come to blows with like trads or rad trads about, but it's an issue that I'm always scratching my head. They are so underwhelmed, comparatively speaking with respect to me, they're so underwhelmed by all these cultural signposts that prove the church true that you're talking about that I'm like, yes, that's one of the many, the, the corpus of things that brought me back. I'm like, and, and Milo talks about this, too. He had a talk he used to do before he even swore off the bad lifestyle called The Church is Right About Everything. 
the, the modes of credibility is what it used to be called. The modes of credibility. It's just amazing. Everything the church taught, oh, this is bad. You can't self-abuse, particularly even, even right. young men. Even if you're avoiding fornication, you can't self-abuse. The rest of the right. world scratches their head and thinks that's weird. Oh, it turns out they were right. They were right. That's in some ways worse <laughs> slavery than fornication. You can't, okay, right. someone doesn't self-abuse, someone doesn't fornicate, someone doesn't have adultery in a marriage, but guess what? The church says you can't contracept. And it's like, that seems really weird. That seems even weirder to the right. outside world. Oh, it turns out, oh, contracepting does all this heinous stuff to your marriage and in many of its forms to your bodies as well. And, and it's a perversion of the mm -hmm. natural. The church was right about that too. It's so yeah. impressive. It's so impressive. And I, I don't yeah. think, I mean, I, I do shows on the TLM. I do debates on the TLM. Sometimes I used to debate more atheists. I'd like to get back to just marveling at the way you're, you're reminding me, Elliot, the, the amazing modes of credibility of the church vis-a-vis -vis cultural signposts it's really impressive and too many trads and right. trads are like well duh yeah it's the one true faith but blah 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 like you know it's it's really amazing yeah it's it's the one true faith but it's also <laughs> i guess in the new age or, or or the way we live today where you know everything is about me right it's about my cultivation my becoming the best self my we kind of like worship ourselves um, the faith gives good tools for self-cultivation. You want to be the best you, right? Like as a Catholic, it's so funny because when I first started, my calling card was become the strongest version of yourself. So it's like, watch me and I'll tell you how to be awesome. Where now it's more in terms of how to be holy. But the rules haven't really changed. It's like, well, the things that are going to make you awesome are actually the same things that are going to make you holy. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly right. There, look, that's virtue ethics 101. It's just Aristotle's function yeah. argument. It, it's, not, it's not fancy and it's not difficult. The best version of a thing is the truest version of that thing, which is why a man who's, <laughs> Aquinas uses the term, is specific difference. Our genus is animal. Our specific differences were the rational animal. So that's the thing that sets us apart. That defines our species, is our reason. We don't all have to be Einsteins. We have to be smart enough to be good. That's Aristotle. That's not even <laughs> Christianity, like right? You have to just be smart enough to be good. Why? Because of praying and saints and heaven, and all these things. No, this is a secular answer and a Catholic answer. It's because right. being a good, a moral man is the only way to be a true man, human. Being a moral human is the only way to be a true human. The only way for an acorn to be a really true acorn is to grow into a strong oak tree. So it's the function right. argument. And it, it doesn't get talked about enough. It doesn't get talked right. about enough when we start getting twisted off about this or that thing. It's, it's amazing that you're telling everyone these Aristotelian truths, Elliot. Yeah, well, it's, it's the faith. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm speaking what's in the faith. A big part of you mentioned Fatima earlier, and I'm, I'm happy that you did because, you know, to, to come home, we got to know how lost we are or to win the war. You got to know who the enemy is. And so it's by learning about Fatima and the errors of Russia and then seeing and recognizing that we live in a world of ideological subversion and that there's a Marxist takeover 
of our minds and our institutions, you know, the, the churches, of course, and the universities and the media and the government, all Marxist takeover. And so this whole rabbit hole of coming back to the faith, uh, of course, gives, gives me and gives all of us a, a, a positive light to reach toward. But also, I think it's important to know who the enemy is and how he, he's been working, particularly for the past 100 years which has led me to learning about the Frankfurt School, uh, and Antonio Gramsci and, and, and Mark Lukacs, and uh, even Wilhelm Reich, who I once looked up to because as a fitness trainer, I, I understood through Wilhelm Reich that the body is the vessel, is, is essentially a, a vessel for the soul and that you will look like, walk like, talk like, carry yourself in the manner that, you're, that, that, that your soul is in or the state that your soul is in almost like how St. John Chrysostom describes um, Rebecca when Isaac meets her or when the slave goes to meet Rebecca at the, at the watering fountain, how she's beautiful, but it's not because of her outer beauty. It's because of her, her, her chastity shining through. You know, she's beautiful because, you know, from the inside, inside out. So anyway, these are just things I'm excited about. <laughs> so I'm sort of ranting on them. No, that's, have you seen um, Wolf in Sheep's Clothes? An EWTN documentary does a great, uh, cover yeah. of Gramsci socialism, Frankfurt School, the three types of socialism. Oh. It's really excellent. That What's it called? I got to write it down. It's called uh, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothes. It's all okay, about Saul Alinsky's pervasive <laughs> pernicious effect all over the American Midwest. Really good wow. stuff. It's really I love how really you took uh, the rules for radical or the rules for radicals and turned it into retrogrades. That was super clever, very triggering. <laughs> yeah it's what we're talking it's what we do man it's guys like you and i yeah hey can that i was a cool move well i i wanted to check with you i don't normally go this long but this has been such an exquisite conversation that i i had two two final quick questions for you they're just checkpoints um one i, I don't usually ask uh about wives much but um I'll, I'll ask that as a parting shot since you brought up rules for retrogrades you were a guy that dabbled in the Eastern paganisms, right? The, the, the polytheisms and the, the semi-religions that are mainly just philosophies. They're all Eastern. Uh, one of my rules for retrogrades, I think it's rule seven or eight, is, is what I call the Miyagi complex. The West, the Western civilization, which has been bedeviled by all of this anti-Westernism, suffers from the Miyagi complex, which is this. A person in the West simply cannot look to our own elders occidentally, westernly, right. as moral exemplars. We, it's, it's not plausible. We look, And again, right. I'm not just trying to beat up on boomers and even greatest generation. That's a misnomer for a generation. That's, they're, they're not the greatest generation. Yeah. We can't look right. to our elders as great moral exemplars in the faith, you know, particularly if the elders of the boomers, these are the people that got that, that ushered in the sexual revolution, that got rid of the Latin yep. mass, that, that thought a new day was dawning and changes in the wind, all the, the Beatles and, and, you know, Bob Dylan nonsense. I, so it's hard for us. I would even say almost impossible for us to look to a Western face as a moral exemplar. So instead we all, even I used to do it growing up, particularly after Karate Kid in the 80s. It's like, oh, this is a, an old person who's deep, 
who doesn't just tell you to maximize your income at your job and, and show up early before your boss. Right. Like, that's all good Western elders tell us. Uh, Eastern elders, yeah. they tell us achieve balance, you know, which I used to think was only Buddhist. And that's a Catholic thing. That's virtue ethics. That's temperance, mm -hmm. moderation. But I didn't know it because of the Miyagi complex. Did you experience this much within yourself? Were you like, I mean, now does it help to externalize the thought that it's like you were looking all eastward orientally yeah. to find the wisdom that no, not much fault assigned to the individual subject having these thoughts. It's hard to find in the West, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, me and my brother would go on Napster. I don't know if you remember Napster back in the yeah. day before there was yeah. a YouTube, before there was a Spotify. There was Napster, so we would go and like Duck D. download files from other people's computers. Yes. And so we would get music, but then we came across this library of work from Alan Watts. Have you ever heard of Alan Watts? Yes. Yep. British guy, very witty British guy who was a, 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 a philosopher and a student and teacher of Western or Eastern religion and so forth. And he, he, got in my head, got in my heart. And I was totally all about it. Um, do you know who Osho is? You mentioned him the other day. I don't know Osho. Yeah. Osho is the Indian guru. So anyway, I was deep. I was deep into Alan Watts and Osho. These were two guys that I, that I followed, read all their books. I even, I even uh, would do workshops uh, based off of Osho's active meditation. You get a chance to look into Osho. Do you, <laughs> Osho's an interesting guy. You might like him, you know, regardless of the fact that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's Indian. He was raised as, as, as Sikh, I think, but he just completely, uh, he just completely left everything and started dismantling everything. He's sort of a dismantler and he just dismantles all religions, dismantles all philosophy, just dismantles all traditional ideas and thoughts. And as a, as a teenager, early twenties, reading this stuff was like feeding my rebellious soul. And I loved all this stuff. When, just to give you my background in terms of, of, of Eastern stuff. Yeah. That there was a long, I was a long way for me doing that. I mean, I had lots of the books. I got rid of most of them. Um, but then when I was in my late thirties and I was struggling, I was, I was, I was at a tough spot in my life. I had this call to fasting. I just, I, I, I sensed that God had been placing into my heart for a long time. Elliot, you need to fast, stop eating, just stop eating. I didn't, I couldn't make heads or tails of it at the time, but then eventually it wore on me. I was like, okay, I need to fast, but why, how, what am I going to do? Is and this so I started your looking, reversion, Elliot, sorry to. This is right before my reversion, yeah. right yeah. before my reversion. Like this is, in other words, the reason why I'm telling you this is because it, 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 it's how I, or my heart moved at that time. So I knew about fasting because I knew about Eastern religion. And of course I grew up as a Catholic, but nobody fasts for Lent, but you don't, you eat, don't eat meat on Sunday, on Friday or something like that. So I never thought that there was a fasting tradition in the Christian faith. And so when I started fasting, I wanted inspiration, but I didn't want Eastern inspiration anymore. I, for some reason, my, I was just, I was pushing away from it. I was like, I, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something else. How is it that the West doesn't have these traditions? Where is this wisdom in the West? Why do I have to go to the East? I don't even know those people. I'm not there. I don't have the same culture as them. I'm not the same racism. I'm not. 
I want it here. Where is that here? Where is that for us? And one of my clients sent me a book called The Elder. The, uh, I'm sorry, a book called The Young Man, The Guru, and Elder Pasios. Elder Pasios was, is, a, um, uh, East, is an Eastern Orthodox saint now, right? And the whole story was about this young man who was, a, you know, I think he was German, who was just exploring all forms of new age stuff. And he was, and he was going through India and he was doing all this, all this stuff. But then at some point, you know, the way the story is, he goes back and forth, but then he comes home and he discovers all the mystical tradition in the Catholic faith through Elder Pasios. And that led me to starting to, to start reading and learning about the saints. And when you read and learn about the saints of the, the faith, you realize these are not just your normal dudes. These guys are mystics, yeah. right? And I started reading about uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, uh, just so many of them. And then I realized, wow, we have been, the, the veil has been pulled over our eyes. Nobody has ever told me that there's a tremendous mystical tradition, wisdom tradition through the saints in, 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 the, in the West from Christianity. It just blew my mind that that was all there and I just didn't know. The mystical lineage of badasses are, are the saints and by anyone's standards, by the most hardcore standards yeah. in the history of the world. Go, you know, Gandhi moronically said he's never met a Christian. It's like, well, do you know how to read? If, if you're looking for a perfect Christian <laughs> on the perfection standard, look at the latter half of the lives of like every one of the saints. Get it. Someone get that man a copy of the lives of the saints. But I mean, again, yeah. what, what you keep coming back to, Elliot, is yet one more cultural signpost that's like, wow, the church is right about everything. I knew fasting was good. I didn't know why. And I wanted it in the Western tradition. It's like, it's hugely there in Roman Catholicism. Yeah. That's yeah, that's good stuff, man. I say sometimes even, um, I see the Miyagi complex, even in, with, with no offense to Jay Dyer and, and the Eastern Orthodoxy, to uh, you know the Western fixation with people that are too turned off by the Roman Catholic tradition and some trads go robo-trad by, by turning uh, Eastern Orthodox. It's like, well, at least this is Miyagi Complex Christianity sequel. You know, it's better than, right. than, than going Buddhist or something, but you see it even in Eastern Orthodoxy. People are like, well, I don't see any smart, smart old people or wise, loving, caring, deep, profound old people at the Novus Ordo. And the Latin mass I can't get to anymore, so I'm just going to go Eastern Orthodox. That's also kind of a reiterated small version of Miyagi complex. And I, I just thought about it when you were talking. Now, final question, and then we got to get out of here. This is way longer than I spent. I'm going to be on your show in a week, which I'm <laughs> not extra excited for now as well. But I don't normally ask too much about spouses. But could, could I just, as a parting shot, ask where where was your wife in all this when you reverted? Was she... Catholic, was she open to Catholicism? How did you help to bring her around? I'm going to be talking to um, Kate, Caitlin Bennett and her husband about the same thing on Friday. Well, this is how I know that my wife is my helpmate and that I am her head. She follows me wherever I go. Right. She doesn't necessarily dive two feet in with every body of water that I expose her to, but she follows me to it. And so all along this whole journey, everything I've described to you, because she was there the entire time, you know, this is all started in high school, you know, and that was when she and I started, we were together. She just, she, in fact, she, because she knew I was Catholic when we were 
first going to college, she went to a Catholic school also, and she got bat or she got she had been baptized as a baby, but she got her confirmation and so on and so forth um, because she wanted to marry me, and she knew that I was Catholic. We'd probably be married in the church. But then when we were behind, when I was behind, because it was always me. I was behind. She became behind. When I was into the new age. She followed me there. When I said I'm Catholic, she was like, okay. She, she, she just trusts me. And, and wherever I go, she'll, she'll be open. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I have her best interest in mind. So I'm not trying. And she knows that I'm not, I wouldn't try to steer her wrong. I might make mistakes. I've made mistakes. She knows, but ultimately my intentions are good. And she knows that. And even if it seems like it's left field, like, whoa, you're Catholic now. How do you go from new age to Catholic? She's supportive and she's willing. And now we're homeschooling and she's teaching Catholic curriculums. And, you know, we're doing Bible studies on, on two days a week. And so, you know, I, I have a great wife. She was willing to follow my lead. She sounds like it. And that, by the way, is further anecdotal proof of you know, the fact that the man is, even when he's outside of the church, even when he's secular, one of the Eastern religions, one of the wrong Western religions, the priest, prophet, <laughs> king of the household and, and the wife will follow. And that's further proof of the other data point we were talking about, Pew Research, that like basically the family follows the man. That's why, brother, right. God bless you that you are now home uh, this side of the Tiber and, and, uh, we're all we're all staying put here once you find it you can't go back to sleep so she followed you the right, right way ultimately yeah by the grace of god my wife's forthcoming book in february is called ask your husband for sophia institute press so that's going to be uh nice. <laughs> you, you like to rattle cages that book will rattle more cages than any of the three books i've ever written ask your husband good i can't wait because i'm looking for books that I'm, you know, like I have three daughters and I want to be able to show them the other side of the coin because the world shows them nothing but feminism. They don't see anything else. Yesterday we were doing um, the reason why Isaac and Rebecca are on my mind is because we're doing Bible study. And I uh, took them through the story of uh, the Abraham's servant finding Rebecca and the type of woman that she is. And so I was lucky enough to have a copy of St. John Chrysostom's on marriage and family. And the last chapter is on finding a wife. And he goes through an entire several pages of what to look for in a woman or on the flip side, what kind of character makes for a good wife. And so anything that can support this alternative, it seems narrative about what it means to be a good woman, I I can use it as support for, for raising my daughter. So I will get her book. <laughs> so beautiful. No, it's, it's going to be a firecracker. It's really well written. I, you know, I've read it first. It's just, it's going to be one for the ages. St. John Chrysostom. Yes, no, or maybe I know what you're going to say. Incredibly based on the sexes and gynocentrism, right? He was unbelievable. Yeah. I yeah. He really I is. Believe. I love his work. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't know his work that well. He's an Eastern father. He's amazing. You know, little mm -hmm. in intra Christendom Miyagi complex. Eastern fathers are based. But when I was citing him in here, I was like, oh, my gosh, what he's writing on the uh, don't be gynocentric writings of St. Paul in the epistles. I thought St. Paul was based. Right. John Chrysostom makes it like 10 times more 
relevant for young males in this henpecked age. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Unbelievable conversation here, Elliot. I, I, yeah, I'm kind of just uh, taken aback how much, how much we agree about. It. I thought we were just doing re- reversion conversion. It went excellent. I really appreciate that you took the time uh, to come on my channel. I'd, I'd love to have you back. And I look forward to this time of the week next week being on your show. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait to explore your book in front of my audience because I've, I've mentioned it. But what I'll probably do is pick out pieces of it that really stand out that I think people need to hear. I'd love to have your, you know, your, your verbal confirmation and your ideas surrounding them. So it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. What are your two YouTube channels for, for those people in my audience who want to hear them? So uh, my fitness channel is Strength Camp strength like muscle camp like camping uh and then my my other one is elliot hulse it's just my name e-l-l-i-o-t-t-h-u-l-s-e where essentially i just answer questions you know i i I really don't even have a position besides that i'm making men strong again so it's a lot of young men just asking me questions about life and i give them my opinion a part of why i was so quick to adopt the faith is because i give so much advice that I just don't want to be wrong. I don't want to steer anybody the wrong way. Yeah. So by, you know, bringing the faith into the answers that I make, it's, it's almost like, I don't want to say I get a pass, but it's also like, but it it also kind of like gives me freedom to say, look, this is tradition. This is in the Bible. This is the way it's been. And I'm not saying it just because I'm trying to make content or to be controversial. It's like, this is the way it has been done for thousands of years. And here's the proof and here's where it's written. And so, that's that's been pretty awesome over the past two or three years as I've brought that online. But it's funny. I found your book. Like I said, I've, I've known of you because I've seen you on YouTube before. But I found your book not even knowing that it was you that wrote it because I was looking for books on patriarchy. I was just on Amazon. I was looking for books on patriarchy because my intention is to create a new channel called Patriarch. And it will be about fatherhood and particularly I love the term that you use. It'll be about the household patriarchy. It's about finding a good wife, being a great husband, having a family and returning to the traditional family. When will that channel be out? Uh, I don't know. Probably uh, within the next few weeks. You know, I've been kind of like dragging my feet on it because I'm tying up some loose ends with projects that I've done in the past. But uh, in order just to consolidate what I'm speaking on it, to make it very clear what my message is, it has been and will be about fatherhood because that's where I am. And that word patriarchy is just such a strong word, such a powerful, such a loaded word that I have been using it uh, ever since I spoke at an event called the, uh, the Patriarch event that happens here in Orlando. I'll maybe tell you about it another time if you'd ever be interested in coming down. But um, I've been speaking at an event called the Patriarch event, and it's forefathers by fathers but with a red pill uh traditional men yeah yeah is that the uh make women great again conference that i was looking that so up. it's held by my same yeah my friend anthony <laughs> he's another triggering dude, that dude uh, yeah, he's, he's a young guy really young guy he started out by putting on an event called the 21 convention and he started it when he was 21 years old so it was for like 21 year old guys who wanted to know how to pick up girls. So he started there, how to pick up girls, how to talk to girls, how to get laid. Then 
as he started to evolve, he recognized that men are wanting families. Men want to be fathers. And so he started to put together an event called the Patriarch, the 21 Convention Patriarch. So you see how he goes from being try a kid trying to get laid to, hey, you know what? Family is a good idea to the 22 Convention, which is the first event that he put together with regard to speaking directly to women about how they can contribute to, in essence, rebuild the patriarchy. How, how, how do women position themselves in a gynocentric world if they're wanting to return to tradition? And so you get a lot of women who are like wanting to be trad wives. And so they're attracted to this. Not many, but <laughs> there are some that are. Oh, they're out there, which is the it's a whole, whole other show worth of content there. But mm -hmm. uh, between you and I even, there are women out there for the guys that are like yeah. abstinence might be my only option because I don't want to be a scumbag. It's like there, there are tricks for attracting the women out there that are worth attracting. And uh, well, that's why I, I'd like to talk. His middle name is Dream. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk to that. Kid <laughs> he calls himself that. Yeah. <laughs> seems like yeah, he calls himself that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was I was laughing my my. Uh, baguettes off uh looking at some of his content after we spoke last week anyway um you guys do good work and i'm gonna call it there hey everyone like this subscribe to the channel get the notification you gotta hit the button leave some comment let me know what you thought about elliot uh, uh, uh adonis of a man and or a great conversationalist as well also, uh, get out of your blue state, get to some state between Texas and <laughs> Elliott's Florida, the broad yeah. blood red swath of states between here and there. Go to realestateforlife.org to do that. Get the case for patriarchy. It's on Amazon now. Get Steph's book, which is on pre-order now. Get it as a Christmas gift for your sister or your friend who's a girl or your wife or your when mother. Will or it be available? It's available now. Yeah, it's called. Uh, you, you can you can make a pre order right now, and it will arrive probably a few weeks before mid February. Get it for the lady at the store oh, who okay. barks at you. You know, get it for anyone. Women need this book. It's called "Ask Your Husband" by Stephanie C. Gordon. It's it's got a beautiful cover on it too. But oh, man, we Elliot, we've we've got work to do, bro. This is this is good stuff. Yeah, and brother. People need your message. And they need the message of patriarchy. I tell you what. You got it, brother. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your uh, on your show, bro. And I can't wait to get you on mine. And we're just going to keep laying it down and making this world what it should be. Amen. Deus Volt, people. God bless you. Peace. God bless. Peace.